This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nutshell Politics this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your ruggedly handsome host as we dive into a brand new topic on this week's episode. Now, there were actually a lot of different things that happened this week that I considered talking about. We had the ancient city of Babylon uh, was named uh, a World Heritage Site, which they've been lobbying for for uh, over 30 years. It's a city that was known for its hanging gardens. You know, it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And UNESCO finally announced that they were going to award this recognition or honor to this ancient city uh, in, in Iraq. So that was one thing I was thinking about talking about. It's really fascinating. You should look into that. Also last week, there was a student who was released from North Korea. This is an Australian student. He went missing about a week or so ago. And uh, Australia actually went through Sweden, who's kind of this neutral party. They frequently are used in negotiations with North Korea because they were the first Western country to establish any sort of formal diplomatic relationship with the country uh, back in 1973. But there was this 29-year-old student who was studying in North Korea at the um, Kim Il-sung University in Pyongyang. Uh, He was studying Korean literature and he disappeared. There's very little information about what that was. I thought about talking about this topic, but because there was still very minimal information about why he was taken, what happened to him while he was missing. Ultimately, I decided to settle on something that has a little bit broader implications for the global economy, at least in my opinion. And this is the announcement actually about a month ago, but they've been kind of going back and forth about it that the countries that make up the economic community of West African states, or ECOWAS, announced that they have agreed to adopt a single currency that will go across most of West Africa. And so I thought this was a really interesting topic uh, because this idea of using a single currency is something that we have seen in the world before. Obviously, the EU does this now with the euro, and now Africa is trying to create kind of an African single currency, at least in West Africa at the moment. And so I thought we could kind of talk about this and kind of dive into why they want it, you know, what its implications might be for Africa, also for the world, when this will actually take place, if if it takes place at all, and kind of dive into some of the concerns around single currency ideas as well with issues of sovereignty and things like that. Some of the same questions that were raised when Europe announced they were going to do it. And so this is kind of um, an interesting story because while it is very localized to West Africa, and we'll talk about which countries that is in a second, it also has some broader implications for theory as to why countries want this and why some countries are pushing for it, why other countries do not want it. Uh, Notably with the EU, there are several countries like, say, Great Britain, that never joined the single currency with the euro and talk about why that is, because this is a much larger story of you know sovereignty and 
issues of nationalism and, and why some countries are willing to merge currencies and economies and other countries are not. And so I think this topic has some much broader implications than you would think on the surface. And so we're going to talk about that as well today. Uh, so let's start with talking just about this specific issue. So as I said, this is in West Africa. It's a group called the Economic Community of West African States. Frequently you hear it called ECOWAS, E-C-O-W-A-S. That's Economic Community of West African States. And so this is a, a kind of a political and economic union of sorts, kind of like the EU, but located in West Africa uh, with 15 countries that are a part of this. Now, the countries that are included in this, well, there's actually, they break it down to a couple different zones, but I'm going to just name a few of these. So it'd be countries like Liberia, Senegal, Mali, Sierra Leone, Ghana, the Ivory Coast, Niger, Nigeria, Togo, uh, and several others as well. As I said, there's about 15 of them that are part of this, this kind of political and economic union. And so this union was established actually many, many years ago. A lot of people don't realize this, but it was actually established back in the 1970s, uh, May of 75, when they signed something called the Treaty of Lagos. Now, the Treaty of Lagos was designed to help promote integration and cooperation kind of across this region in order to kind of promote economic growth, economic integration kind of across this area and really help the, the economies of some countries in West Africa that have long struggled with, with economic issues. And so this treaty, as I said, was established in 1975. And it was actually there was a revised version of it took place in the 90s as well. But it's basically been considered one of the main pillars or central figures in Africa for quite a while now. Uh, there's the African Economic Community, which is the organization of African states across the whole continent. And they're, they're a little different, but uh, ECOWAS is part of that. And they're probably one of the main pillars of this, uh, the African Economic Community overall. Now, they also serve as kind of a peacekeeping force in the area. Uh, a lot of member states, you work together on kind of joint military forces to help in times of uh, political instability, political unrest, uh, if there's any sort of conflicts. Uh, there, were, For instance, Liberia back in 2003, Mali in 2013. And so you see them kind of cooperating on multiple different levels here. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, you'll know that many months ago I did kind of a, an episode where we talked about international organizations in a more of general sense, and I did I dived into the EU a little bit. This would fall under that same type of category as the EU and some of these other big international institutions and organizations. And like the EU, we have seen ECOWAS kind of expand beyond the economic integration and even beyond kind of the military integration as well. As they have a court of justice, there's kind of a, a political parliament, there's the West African Health Organization, uh, there's a, a group, I'm blanking on the name of it, but they work against uh, like money laundering, international crime, and terrorism financing across the region as well. And so just recently, they, or I guess you say, they, for a while they've been talking about the idea of a joint currency. That's probably been in the works for 30 years or more, but they finally kind of agreed to adopt this single currency that they claim will, will go into effect next year called the ECO, the E-C-O, ECO. Uh, and so there are a lot of debates about what this really means and what this, what impact this is going to have on kind of the region's economy. So there are eight states right now within the ECOWAS that use 
the French franc, or the, it's the CFA franc, but it's basically backed by the French economy. And so they've been using this for a while as well. It's pegged to the euro, so it's like guaranteed by France. But the other seven countries all use their own currencies, and none of these currencies are particularly convertible or very, very easily convertible back and forth between them. And so by trying to unify all of these countries, all 15, under one currency, the idea here is that it will facilitate better trade, better payments across the citizens of all these different countries. Between the 15 countries, there's something like 380 to 400 million people. Uh, so there's a lot of econ economic possibilities across these borders. And there is some thought that this will be able to kind of lower a lot of transaction costs for these economies across those borders as well. Now, one of the other big reasons that a lot of times countries like to move towards these kind of single currency ideas is that like we saw in Europe, countries can be very strongly affected by policies implemented around the rest of the world, right? So the economy is not domestic. It used to be much more domestic. It used to be, you know, if you go back a couple hundred years or so, you know, the economy of one country, if it crashed or something, it didn't really affect the other countries all that much. But because we're becoming so globalized, so integrated, even not like in a formal sense with, it, with these organizations, but just in the sense that we trade so much with other countries, we're so interdependent. Policies being passed in one country or economic trouble in another country have ripple effects across the whole world. And so a single currency gives states a chance to kind of weather those, those domestic troubles because their currency is not necessarily based in their country. It's based on a larger system. And so it would take a much larger shock to the system, monetary shock to the system, to affect the, their overall currency rate and cur currency valuation. Now, this specific deal, as I said, they want it to launch in 2020. It is very unlikely that's actually going to happen. Uh, and ju just being honest here, it is in incredibly unlikely that the countries will be able to meet that target. Um, they've talked about this sort of single currency thing. As I said, it's probably been in the works for 30 years or more. Uh, they actually plan to introduce it multiple times over the years as well. I think the first time it came about was in 2003. Uh, they wanted. They were talking about introducing it then, and it got delayed and postponed. Got pushed back to 2005, then 2010, then 2014, etc. Uh, and now, as I said, 2020 is kind of their big next next goal. And so they have set this as the the next big step going forward. Now, in order to do that, uh, these countries have named a handful of uh, criteria that all states should should adhere to. Uh, before they can join this currency. And it's it's basic economic principles like not having a budget deficit over 3%, you know, having an annual inflation rate less than 10%, etc. these types of things. And there are at least six or so that are due to be kind of assessed by, the, by, by ECOWAS, the organization as a whole, at the end of this year. One of the problems that they're running into, though, is that there's a lot of inconsistency here is that say, say a country meets these criteria one year, but, but by the next year they've fallen off and they're not meeting it anymore. It, let's just use an example. In 2016, one country, which is Liberia, met all of those six conditions. I said there were you know, four to six. I listed, I think, three of them, uh, two or three of them. But there were six major conditions. Only one country of this entire 15-country block met those conditions in 2016. And there wasn't actually a single criteria that was met by all the countries. 
And so it seems to me that 2020 is more of a symbolic goal by these states, something that they can point to and say, hey, we are working towards this. You know, having a deadline pushes states to to reach that criteria. But ultimately, the idea is it's it's more about the push than it is about the end result. It's about the process, not not the end, right? It's the old cliche, but it's, it's not the the destination, it's the journey. Which means I seriously doubt that ECOWAS is expecting all 15 countries to adopt this eco-currency next year. This may be something that's a gradual adoption over time, so that as countries you know, do rise to meet that criteria, they can join and others, you know, maybe join a few years later down the road, whenever they can, they can meet that criteria. But ultimately the idea is that putting a deadline in place will inspire states to work on their economy, to work, to reach that criteria so that they can join this, this one region currency called the eco. Now, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for commercials, give me a chance to rest my voice, and we're going to jump back in on the other side of the commercial break where we talk about will this actually work, and then we'll talk about some issues of sovereignty and kind of broader theory surrounding you know, one world currencies and and things like that, economic unions, political unions. But stick with me through this short commercial break, and I'll be back with you guys on the other side. Thanks for listening. And welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that break. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dive right back into talking about the ECOWAS and the the one region currency that West Africa is currently uh, planning to implement. So before the break, we were talking about the actual plan itself a little bit. But now I want to focus on whether or not this is actually going to work and kind of what this might mean for broader discussions about sovereignty that have plagued Europe as well with the EU and other regions where they're kind of undergoing similar talks. Uh, so let's start with talking about whether or not this single currency in West Africa, the ECO, will actually do what they think it's going to do. Uh, so there's a couple issues here that need to be addressed. First is the country of Nigeria. Now, this sounds kind of silly uh, on the surface, but there's a lot of concern that Nigeria will dominate the monetary policy in the region because they are by far the region's biggest economy. And so there's some concern here that if all of these countries unify under one economy, that economy essentially becomes Nigerian's economy, and it's going to kind of stall all of the projected potential benefits for the region because the economy is just going to be based on Nigeria and they will end up dominating all of policy across the region because any policy that gets passed will need to benefit Nigeria specifically and it won't be and it won't be in the region's best interest necessarily but it will be in Nigeria's best interest. So there is some concern here about who ends up dominating policy. And we actually see this a little bit in the EU as well as you know policy mon monetary policy across Europe ends up getting dominated by the biggest economies in Europe, Germany, England, France, etc. And so some of the smaller countries in Europe have raised questions, concerns you might say about how those policies are being passed because they tend to be benefit the larger economies more than the smaller ones. And so there are some questions about you know, whether or not the Nigerian economy, which, as I said, is the largest in that region by far, would end up dominating this one uh, this one region currency to the point where any benefits for the region would end up being delayed or uh, even halted. Now, in addition to that, there are some 
questions about whether or not the single currency is really where they need to be focusing. West Africa has a lot of problems right now economically. It's hard for them to move goods around the country, uh, around the region, but even within individual countries, even in Nigeria, use them as an example. You know, they struggle to get goods around their own country to pass produce from you know the north to the south to various outlying regions. You know, if they can't even move some of their produce and goods around the country freely and easily. You know, a single currency seems like a huge pie-in-the-sky type dream that really won't have any effect until they can address you know, things like problematic infrastructure, uh, bureaucracy, corruption, some of the, the more baseline policies and issues that affect a currency more, sorry, that affect an economy more than a currency. And on top of this as well, it's, it's one thing to talk about you know, improving trade in the region, but when countries don't have a whole lot to trade, you know, implementing a single currency isn't going to, to suddenly make them have lots more goods to trade, right? A lot of these West African countries are one good or one product dominated or maybe even less than that. Uh, some places don't really have much to trade at all. And so we might need to see some of these countries work to diversify their economies and really transform what they do and what they trade before currency, you know, single currency would have any effect at all. Because as we've seen in other parts of the world, let's use Saudi Arabia as an example, you know, having a, an economy dominated by one thing, in their case, oil, means that they are very dependent on oil prices and less so on other things. And we're starting to see Saudi Arabia diversify their economy and get into other goods as well because they understand that having a diverse economy across the country is really important for, for trade and for any sort of long-lasting, uh, long-term policies. And so having a single currency doesn't do many, anything to fix some of these much more basic, much more important problems that affect trade more. And then the biggest question here is probably about dealing with the with issues of sovereignty. Now, as I mentioned early on in this podcast, the idea of sovereignty is a a discussion that has been had around the world. Uh, but we saw it in Europe with the EU. We see it in in Asia. We are now seeing it in Africa, uh, the Americas. The concept of sovereignty, uh, which is basically the ability of a country to govern itself without outside interference from other countries, this issue of or this idea of having some sort of joint currency really starts to infringe on some concerns about whether or not countries will still have that ability to govern themselves. There's there's some serious questions here about whether or not implementing a single currency will step on the toes of countries' ability to pass their own monetary policies that may benefit themselves, you know, instead of benefiting, you know, wider regions as I said you know, the concerns about Nigeria, for instance, if you're a small country like Burkina Faso, you know, maybe you want policies that benefit you specifically, but because you join the single currency, single monetary policy, you know, the policies that are getting passed in your area are more to benefit the region, to benefit Nigeria than they are to benefit you. And so there's a lot of fears that these types of integrations, especially if we start crossing the line into more political integration, that countries may no longer be able to govern themselves to the extent that they were beforehand, and it may actually end up hurting individual countries in the long run. We've had a lot of questions about this with uh, joining the United Nations as well, which is the, more of a global integrative organization, because the, the UN frequently will 
defer to some of the larger countries, the countries on the Security Council, like the United States or Russia, and things like the WTO or IMF, some of these other international economic institutions frequently pass policies that are, that benefit the United States or other Western countries. And in, in fact, in some cases, uh, what they'll do is they'll they'll offer loans to these smaller developing countries, but only if they pass policies that are beneficial to the United States, for example. And so there's some questions about whether or not these institutions actually do really take away from, from sovereignty in a lot of countries, particularly in, in Africa, where a lot of the countries there are developing uh, still, and they haven't gone through kind of industrialization and are, are not on the economic level of some Western countries. There are a lot of fears here that the West is simply using these, these international organizations to influence these countries to pass policies that benefit the West. And so having integrative organizations in Africa does allay some of those fears by, by condensing it to Africa, but you still run into the, some of the same questions as, is Nigeria really going to pass policies that benefit you know, some of these other small countries? Or are they going to really push to benefit or to pass monetary policies that benefit themselves uh, at the expense potentially of smaller countries? And so rushing into some sort of agreement that may end up causing a country to lose part of their sovereignty is going to rile some of these countries up. And so there's actually a, an ECOWAS meeting that's going to take place in December later this year where a lot of these concerns will have to be hashed out uh, because there are concerns about Nigeria and other countries trying to dominate this. And actually what we see is, getting back to the idea of Nigeria specifically, Nigeria's dominance in the ECO, in the ECOWAS, would be even larger than, say, Germany's in the EU. The, the Eurozone, uh, Germany is well known for having a, a very hefty weight because their economy is, is large, but Nigeria would be far more dominant. Nigeria is an oil economy, much like a lot of countries in this region, but their, their economy accounts for two-thirds of the GDP of West Africa, of, of this ECOWAS region. And so when one country has two-thirds the economy of the entire region, that dominance could ultimately be fairly problematic. Now, of course, if Nigeria approaches this from a a position where they want to just be a leader, you know, be a good leader, send positive signals and, and really approach their role in this in this industry, in this region from um, more of an opportunity standpoint, that could help allay some of these fears. And that's something that, that Nigeria will, I'm sure, emphasize when they have this meeting in December, because they have to see this as an opportunity for them to open up their markets and be able to sell their goods to a larger region now by being able to um, not deal with some of these transportation costs and money change fees and all sorts of things like this. Now, we do see the ECOWAS moving in this direction overall in terms of just general integration. Uh, we see, I mean, actually, for many years, ECOWAS countries have had the same like, international passport. They do in, uh, assign individual countries, but the, the same basic passport is used across this, which allows people to move. So there's more free movement to people across borders. They have been working to be able to move goods across borders more easily as well. But this kind of push to fast track the concept of a, a single currency would be a major step for ECOWAS because this would be the, the largest in economic integration that they have seen in this region probably ever. And obviously they've tried to do this several times in the past and it keeps getting pushed off. But this could be seen as a pretty major step to deal with some of the, the economic problems that have been plaguing West Africa for, uh, for decades, really. 
as I'm sure is pretty well known globally right now, uh, Africa has some serious economic problems. Uh, Africa's debt is something like 100 billion euros at this point. Their debt to GDP ratio is exceedingly high. And we're seeing a lot of international countries like the United States, China, Russia, they're trying to move into Africa to gain influence there by offering loans, which are then putting these countries even more in debt. And so Africa is really looking for new ideas and new ways to to boost their economy without having to rely so much on taking out more loans, uh, which would just put them even further into debt. Now, if you're interested in a little bit more of a discussion on international organizations in the general terms, go back and check out my episode I did on this several months ago on economic integration, economic organizations, uh, international organizations uh, in the EU, because I go into this in a little bit more detail from like a, a global theory perspective. But over the next six months or so, we're really going to see whether or not this ECOWAS plan will hold up. And it's going to be fascinating because this is something, as I said, that's that not only would impact West Africa, but could have larger impacts economically for Europe, especially France, who has been backing some of these currencies for a while, but also you know other countries that trade with Europe, trade with the oil, particularly in Nigeria and other countries, but also have an impact on just broader implications for what it means to have a single currency and how that impacts sovereignty, because these are questions that have plagued not only West Africa, but Europe and the rest of the world for, for many, many years, ever since countries really started to integrate after the world wars in, well, in more detailed fashion anyway. So keep an eye on this going forward uh, as we get into December, especially ECOWAS is going to have another meeting to talk about this. And 2020 is when they have this next deadline for countries to meet those criteria and adopt a single currency. And we're going to have to kind of wait and see you know, what this looks like. I personally have some some serious doubts that anything is going to come of this anytime soon. But the fact that they are trying to really increase that push forward to meeting those criteria I think it could be good for African economy as a whole. And despite, you know, the various economies in the region having dramatically different levels of development from Nigeria at the top, you know, to some of the smaller countries, uh, only like five, I think, meet the criteria of having a budget deficit not higher than 4% or whatever. You know, we're talking Ivory Coast, Senegal, Togo, but other countries that are much, uh, are much lower levels of development. So the idea that all of these countries are going to come together and all meet these criteria and all join the eco at the same time, I think is very unrealistic because there's no like one currency policy that's going to be right for very divergent economies. Just as an example, you know, Liberia has an inflation rate of 27% while Senegal is at 1%. So these drastically different inflation rates mean different policies are going to need put, to be put into place and therefore different timelines will need to be put into place as well. But the hypothetical here of having a single currency to reduce the cost of trade across this, this West African bloc is a pretty fascinating one. And as I said, we'll have some far-reaching implications for the region, for the continent, and potentially for the world as a whole. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and close things out for this ep- this week's episode. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope that was very interesting for you guys. It was uh, a cool topic for me to kind of get back into because it's the idea of sovereignty and integration is one that I I have been I have found personally fascinating over the years, but especially to dive into kind of a, a region of the world in West Africa where you know I haven't really focused a whole lot of this podcast on before. I think is was really interesting for me and. Hopefully, I'll be able to do more of this going forward as well, dive into different specific regions. 
Uh, so thanks so much for tuning in and listening. If you're interested in getting in contact with me, you can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. Please find me there. Hit that follow button. I'd be happy to continue this conversation with you there or any other conversation. You can also find me on Facebook at J Robert Kinney. It's the name I write fiction novels under. If you're at all interested in mystery novels or suspense novels, I have two novels that have been released in the last few years. Uh, one is called Precipice and the other is called Splintered State, both under the name J Robert Kinney. You can find those on Amazon for both paperback and Kindle. Please go check those out. I'm really excited about both of those. If you're interested in supporting me or supporting this podcast in any way, uh, I would really appreciate uh, you reaching out. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. I also have a Patreon account online that you can find if you're interested in supporting through that way as well. And if you're interested in potentially giving me ideas for future episodes that you really want me to talk about a specific topic, or if you're interested in, in potentially being a guest to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to your heart, please let me know. I'd be happy to, to explore that possibility uh, going forward. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and close things out. Uh, so this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one.